Well, like I said, we're starting a brand new series this morning, and it's called Life in the Spirit, um, as you can see from our graphic there. And we're going to be talking about this idea of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to live in the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to relate to the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? And I don't know about you, but for me, I tend to think there are two different types of churches in the world. There are those churches that almost talk about nothing but the Holy Spirit. You know, they're, they're always, you know, trying to seek a new spiritual experience. They're sort of caught up in, in uh, charismatics and the Holy Spirit, and it's always, you know, Holy Spirit this, Holy Spirit that. And they're almost overboard when it comes to the Spirit. And then there are those other churches that are almost afraid of the Holy Spirit. They, they're all into doctrine. They like teaching in the Bible, but they never talk about the Holy Spirit at all. There's a story in the book of Acts, which is a story of the, the first uh, beginnings of the early church. And there, there's this man named Apollos, who's a teacher in the early church. And he's traveling around from city to city, visiting different churches. He goes to a church which, which is called Corinth. And this is one of those churches that just cares all about the Holy Spirit. They're almost overboard with charismatics and gifts of the Spirit and all that. They're always talking about the Holy Spirit. And Paul has to correct that. And then he moves on to another city called Ephesus. And in Ephesus, he comes to the people there and he says, have you all received the Holy Spirit? And they looked at him and they said, wait, what? We haven't even so much as heard there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit. And I dare say that we, if, we're, if Fellowship Bibles Church resembles one of these two, we're probably going to fall into this camp. Um, you know, I as a pastor, I don't tend to talk about the Holy Spirit much. And maybe that's because of my background. I grew up in a charismatic church. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. My grandma was charismatic. I remember visiting her church, and I remember just being a little, frankly, freaked out by the spiritual things that were going on there. There were people speaking in tongues. There were people dancing in the aisles. There were people falling over, and it just kind of scared me, frankly. I had an uncle who was a, a Pentecostal minister, and he used to talk about the Holy Ghost, in, which is the old English translation of the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Holy Ghost. And I used to think, what in the world is the Holy Ghost? And that's kind of creepy, the Holy Ghost. And it, it, I almost thought the Holy, of the Holy Spirit as, as this ghost that came out every once in a while to do some kind of creepy stuff, but most of the time, he kind of stays away. And that's a problem, because the Holy Spirit is incredibly important to the Christian life. We can't marginalize it. Uh, Gordon Fee puts it this way. He says that um, despite the affirmations in our creeds and hymns and the lip service paid to the Spirit in our occasional conversations, the Spirit is largely marginalized in our actual life together as a community of faith. So are we marginalizing the Holy Spirit? This series, we're going to bring the Spirit front and center. We're going to talk about what the Spirit is and what the Spirit does in our lives. We're going to do it by looking at Galatians. Now, um, we're starting a brand new series, but we're still in the same old book. And that's because in this section that we're going to look at, Paul starts a brand new um, teaching here in Galatians. There are three parts to this book. There's the first part, which is biography. Paul tells his story about how he received the gospel. The second part is theology. Paul teaches and explains the theology of the gospel. And then this final section is application. Paul is going to tell us how to apply the gospel to our daily lives. He's going to talk about Christian living. He's going to talk about how we can live lives that please God. It's very practical. It's very applicational. And the thing is, in this whole section, the theme that sort of dominates is this idea of the Spirit. 
So for Paul, you cannot live the Christian life practically without reference to the Spirit. Thirteen times in the final section, Paul uses the word spirit. And so for Paul, if you're ever going to learn how to, to live the Christian life and please God and live every day as a believer, you need to understand what the Spirit's all about. And he begins the section with a famous little phrase, and this phrase weighs a ton. There is so much theological weight in this phrase. And so this morning, I want to take the little phrase, and I want to pick it apart and, and see what Paul's talking about here. And here it is. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here's the phrase again. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For Paul... The Christian life is all about walking by the Spirit, learning how to walk by the Spirit. If you're going to please God, if you're going to obey God, if you're going to have strong families and strong spiritual lives and, and raising good children, you need to learn how to, he says, walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? Let me break it apart into three different pieces. Number one, we're going to ask the question, what is the Spirit? And then second of all, we're going to ask, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? And then finally, what is the promise we have if we do that? And so we're going to look at three things, the Spirit, the walk, and the promise, to explain this little phrase, walking by the Spirit. So the first point, what does Paul mean by the Spirit? He says, I say, walk by the Spirit. What is the spirit? When Paul uses that word, what is he talking about? Well, he's not talking about the human spirit. We'll often hear about the indelible human spirit, you know, the great, you know, courage and artistic creativity in man and, and, and women and humanity. He's not talking about the human spirit. Paul here is talking about the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit? Well, let's look what Paul said so far about the Holy Spirit. Chapter 3, Paul says that the Holy Spirit for every Christian is a gift, so, the very moment you put your faith in Jesus, whether you're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, whether you're Southern or Northeastern or whatever, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit by grace. You didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, it doesn't come slowly, boom, immediately, if you put your faith in Christ, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then there's another place in chapter 5 where Paul says this, he says, in salvation there are two sendings. When God redeems the world, he sends Two things. He sends his son into the world to die and redeem us, but then he also sends his spirit into our hearts to help us live the way he wants us to live. There are two sendings in redemption. God sends the son, God sends the spirit. And so summary, what is the Holy Spirit according to Paul? The spirit is the divine resident of the Christian's heart. Gordon Fee says that the Spirit is God's empowering presence. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit has taken residence in your heart. And what is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, the third member of the Trinity has taken up residence in your heart. The Spirit of God dwells in you. But we've got to think about the Spirit in the right way. The Spirit of God is not like a force or an energy uh, field, or something like that. The Spirit of God is not an it. The Spirit is a he. The Spirit is a person. You know, a lot of times we think about the Holy Spirit like the force in Star Wars. 
Had to get a Star Wars reference in this morning. And what is the force in Star Wars? We all know what it is. According to Obi-Wan Kenobi, the force is what gives the Jedi its power. It's an energy field surrounding all living things. It penetrates us and binds the galaxy together. Right? We all know that. But the Spirit of God is not, Ben says, oh yeah, I know, I know that one. The Spirit of God is not like an impersonal force. The Spirit of God is a person. The Spirit of God is God himself. It's a, he's a he dwelling in you. And you see this all the way through the New Testament because we see that the Spirit acts like a he all the way through the Bible. In, the, in Ephesians 4, it says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve a force. You can only grieve a person. Uh, Hebrews 10 says that you could anger the Holy Spirit. You know, you could get the Holy Spirit angry, frustrated. Uh, in in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Ephesians, in another place, it says the Holy Spirit loves. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. It's God himself, the third member of the Trinity, taking up residence in your heart, dwelling in you. In the Old Testament, there's this idea of the temple. And the temple is where God's presence dwelt. The Shekinah glory is there. If you wanted to meet with God, you'd go to the temple. But in the New Testament, Jesus says that he himself is the temple. And then later on, what does Paul say? He says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? The Spirit of God, God himself, his presence has taken up residence in you, in your heart, in your soul. And so this means that the Christian life is nothing less than God himself, the spirit of Jesus living in you and through you. The way Paul put it is, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I no longer live by the flesh, but by the son of God who gave himself for me. The Christian life is Jesus living in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does the Spirit do in your life? I mean, the power of the Holy Spirit, what does the Spirit do when, it, when the, he takes up residence in you? Well, the first thing he does is he regenerates you. And what does regenerate mean? Regenerate, uh, spontaneous generation, means uh, creation, right? It means something that comes alive. And regeneration is recreation. And so the first thing the Holy Spirit does when he comes into your life is he regenerates you. He makes you alive. Ephesians puts it this way. You, before you were a Christian, you were dead in trespasses and sins. The life of God was not in you. But when you believed, God's Spirit came in and you were made alive by the Spirit of God. Everything that was dead in you became alive again. In the Old Testament, there's a story of one of the prophets, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was standing in front of a great valley of dry bones. Some of you know the story. And this, the bones are down there dry and dusty and dead. And God says, Ezekiel, speak to the bones. And Ezekiel says, what do I say to the bones? Can they hear me? They're just bones. And he says, I want you to tell the bones to live. So he says, live, bones. And what happens in the valley of dry bones? The bones begin to assemble together, and flesh comes on the bones, and, and suddenly there's a living, breathing army again. This is a picture of what happens to a person when they become a Christian. You're made alive by the Spirit of God. You're regenerated. You're born again. And, you know, even though you're the same you, you look in the mirror, you look the same. You're a Christian before, you're a Christian now, but you look the same. You're still short, you're still funny looking. You still have the same Myers-Briggs, but on the inside, there's a radical change. You've been made alive, you've been regenerated. The Spirit does that when God takes up residence in your heart. 
What else does the Spirit do? The Spirit empowers you to live the life that God's created you to live. The Spirit gives us power. The Spirit gives us the ability to live lives like Christ. There's one place in Ephesians where, where Paul says, get this, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. There is enormous power in your life if you're a Christian. There's enormous resources. You have an unrivaled, unique resource for deep transformation because of the power of God that lives in you. One of my favorite quotes is by Bishop William Temple. And he put it this way. He said, it's no use giving me a play like Shakespeare's and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it, but I can't. And it's no use giving me a life like Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it, but I can't. But if the spirit of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I can write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I can live a life like his. This is Christianity. It is nothing less than the spirit of Jesus himself living in you and enabling you to live the life that he's created you to live. And there's tremendous power in that. There's incredible power there. There's another story that uh, 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 Barnhouse used to tell of a, of a graveyard that he went in in London. And in this graveyard, there's a, there was a, a big marble slab. And in the middle of a marble slab, it had cracked open and a big tree grew up. And Barnhouse said, that's the power of the Spirit. He says, you look at a seed, is the seed stronger than a slab of marble? I mean, which one seems stronger? But there's organic power and there's living power in the seed. And it breaks that that marble slab, and the spirit is the same way. It's powerful, and it's living, and he's living. I keep on saying it. It's not the force. It's he. He's living, and he's living inside of you, giving you incredible power to live the life that God has called you to live. The spirit not only gives you power, the spirit also gives you the desires. Now, notice here in this passage, Paul says, walk by the spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the flesh has desires, but then he goes on and he says, for the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit. The spirit desires too. And so this is another thing the spirit of God does when he comes and takes up residence in you. He gives you brand new desires. The way the Old Testament put it is that, you know, there was the outward law, the Ten Commandments, God's moral codes, and they were written on uh, stone, And there they were outside of you, but there's one day when this law is going to be written on your heart, where it's going to be internalized, and you're going to get a brand new heart with brand new desires, and the desires are going to be the same as the Ten Commandments. God's law is going to come on the inside, giving you brand new desires to live the life that you are called to live. You're going to want to do that. Um, One of my favorite little books is called The Little Prince. Anybody read The Little Prince? Uh, little Prince, they also made a cute little cartoon out of The Little Prince. And there's one quote in the movie where uh, it says this, you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and, wor- and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. He says, you want to build a ship? Don't just give people wood and, and things to build with, give them a longing, give them a desire for the, immense, the endless immensity of the sea. And this is how God builds people. He, get, he goes inside of them by his Holy Spirit and he gives them desires to long for the life that he's created them for. You've got that living inside of you. So what Paul is saying here is this is the Spirit. 
The Christian life is not just a legal fiction. The Christian life is not just a brand new status, an outward forgiveness, and acceptance before God on the outside. The Christian life is an internal change. It's born again by the Spirit of God. It's life of God living in the soul of man. There's a bumper sticker that says, not perfect, just forgiven. Anybody seen that one? Not, if you have that, I'm sorry. I'm gonna dog on it this morning. Not perfect, just forgiven. Well, you are forgiven, and that's wonderful, but you are not just forgiven. You have that outward status change, but you also have a new internal change as well. You are not just forgiven. You're empowered by God's Spirit. You are not just acquitted in the law court of God, but you are given power on the inside. You've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you if you're a Christian. He doesn't leave us on our own to sort of, uh, you know, work out this Christian thing by ourselves. God has come in us to live the Christian life through us. That's the Spirit. So, Paul says, walk in the Spirit. And I've given you sort of a mini theology of the Spirit there. We all know what it is. And, but notice Paul says, you've got the Spirit. Here's what I want you to do. Second point. He says, I want you to walk in the Spirit. Now that you've got the Spirit... The thing I want you to do now is I want you to walk in the Spirit. So in other words, even though we have this incredible power in us, even though we have this unique, unrivaled um, uh, uh, power for transformation, deep transformation living inside of us, that doesn't happen automatically. We don't automatically change because of that. Paul says you've got to do something with the Spirit. You've got to respond to the Spirit in a certain way. How do we respond? He says I want you to walk by the Spirit. Now, the word walk there is an important Greek word. It's the Greek word peripateo. Can we all say that together? Peripateo. Yeah, now some scholars say peripateo, and other scholars say peripatao. Uh, pateo, patao, tomato, tomato. It doesn't matter. It means the same thing. What does peripateo mean? It means to live a lifestyle. It means to engage in a certain way of life. It's a, it's a present uh, a perfect here. What that means is continue walking in the Spirit. And Paul uses this word walk over and over again, all the way through the New Testament, to describe a lifestyle, a way of living, a way that you, that you, uh, uh, you know, make decisions and, and live out your life on a daily basis. He says, I want you to walk, he says, every single day, a lifestyle. I want you to walk in the Spirit. I want you to peri potato or patao in the spirit. Now, what does it mean to walk in the spirit? Well, it means at least three things. Number one, it means to rely on the power of the spirit. Right, the power is there. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is dwelling in you. And what Paul is saying, now I want you to learn how to walk in that power. I want you to learn how to utilize that power. I want you to learn how to depend on those resources. It's there. I want you to learn how to use it. And the image I kept on getting in my mind as I was thinking about this is think about a little child. Some of you have little babies. You know the one-year-old little baby learns how to walk. And you've seen the little baby learning how to walk, taking little tiny baby steps. What is that baby doing? The baby is learning to utilize its powers. The baby has the power of balance. The baby has the power of, you know, uh, mobility. The baby has these legs and these hands. And when the baby learns to move, he's learning how to use the power that he's got. I remember my little, one of my little boys, when he discovered his hand. 
You know, these babies, their, their limbs are all flailing around. I remember one day he was at the, the dinner table and he was flailing around and then he went, like, I've got a hand here. Check it out. This is, ooh, this is cool, you know. And they did the other one here. And, then, and that's the way they, they discover and that's the way they learn how to walk. Discovering, oh, I've got these powers. Isn't this amazing? And then step by step learning how to, to, to put weight on those legs and, and move forward. And, and that's how you learn how to walk. And Paul says this is walking in the spirit. You got to learn how to utilize your powers. Jesus Christ, the living Jesus Christ is in you. And so being a Christian is learning how to walk in that. Learning how to use his powers. Slowly but surely, step by step, you're learning how to walk in his spirit. There are desires that are just second nature to us, right? You know, you think about it, there are many, many ways that you respond to life, the circumstances of life. You know, you, you get impatient. You know, for many of us, that's second nature. I just, ugh, I'm one of these people. I'm so, I just this way all the time, and I'm so impatient. It's so just second nature for, for me to get frustrated. And for some of you, it's second nature to get angry. You know, it's just so natural for you. you a circumstance comes up, and it's just rage, anger, it's there. And other people, you know, second nature is fear and anxiety. It's just your natural response. And what Paul is saying is like, look, there's something new in your life now. There's a power you didn't have before. And when you come up against the situation and when it's confronting you, you, get, you stop and you say, well, wait a minute, I've got the spirit. How do I learn how to react differently? How do I learn how to walk in the spirit? You see, it's step by step. It's moment by moment. You're learning how to rely on this new power that you've got. It's, that's what it means to walk in the Spirit. You're learning how to do this thing. It also means to cooperate with the Spirit. You know, the Spirit's there giving you desires, giving you inclinations. You know, the law of God is written on your heart. Are you cooperating with the Spirit in you? There's another place where Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. It's almost like a dance, right? You know, you've ever been slow dancing with someone, you know, and there's, you're, you're keeping in step with each other. You're cooperating with each other. If you don't, it's a mess. You know, your partner's dragging you all around the dance floor, and it's, and it's frustrating. And what Paul says, you've got to learn how to keep in step with the Spirit. Learn how to be led by the Spirit. Learn how to cooperate with the Spirit. Some of you are so stubborn. And the Spirit is leading you, you know, the fruits of the Spirit leading you to peace and joy and self-control, and you're, kept, you're, you're just resisting that. And Paul says you've got to learn how to cooperate with the Spirit in you. Some of you may have heard the uh, poem, Footprints in the Sand. You know, there's, there's four footprints in the sand, and then during the hard struggles of life, there's only two. And the person in the poem says, well, God, why did, how come you're gone when there's, when the struggles come and God says, oh, no, 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 I wasn't gone. Those are the times when I've carried you. Well, I knew a pastor who modified the poem, and he said there are two footprints in the sand, and there are periods where there are two lines next to the other footprints. And the guy says, well, what are the drag, why, why, the, why the lines there? And he says, those are the times when I've had to drag you. Don't make God drag you. The Spirit of God is in you, giving you desires and, and power and inclinations to live the life he's created you for. Don't shirk against that. Don't make God have to pull you along. Paul says, I want you to learn how to walk in the Spirit. That means keep in step with the Spirit. Learn how to cooperate with the Spirit. 
And if you're a parent, you know what it's like to have to drag your child into the bath at night, kicking and screaming. Don't be like this with the Holy Spirit. Just learn how to work with him. Learn how to recognize the fruits of the Spirit and and how to respond in certain situations and cooperate with that. Walk by the Spirit, Paul says. Learn how to walk and depend and cooperate and learn how to be led by the Spirit. That's another thing Paul says here. These are all synonyms. Uh, Be led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God wants to lead you. In fact, in the ancient world, uh, Aristotle, he had followers that were called peripataos or peripateos. I can't remember what they were called. But these were his followers. These were the people who had the habit of following Aristotle around everywhere he went, the peripataos. And what Paul is saying is learn how to follow the Spirit. Learn how to be led by the Spirit. Read the Bible. See what the Spirit's about. See what God is about in the world. And allow the Spirit to lead you along and live the life that you've been created to live. And so this is what it means. Paul is talking about being led by the Spirit, cooperating with the Spirit, depending on the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, he says. And so first we saw what is the Spirit. Well, it's actually a he. The Spirit of God dwells in you. And, but you don't automatically change. What do you need to do? You need to learn how to walk with and cooperate the Spirit with the Spirit in your life. You know, maybe pray when you get up in the morning. God, what do you want me, you know, how do you want me to live today? Here are all the situations that I'm going to con- be confronted with today. How do you want me to respond? Learn how to be led by that Spirit. That's how you're going to grow and change. This is what Paul's talking about here. But then finally, he's going to give us a promise. Here it is. He says, now I say, walk by the Spirit, and, and he says, here's the promise, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now notice these are not two different commands. Walk by the Spirit is the command, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh is the result. It's not walk in the Spirit and don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. He says, walk in the Spirit, and if you do that, you're not going to fulfill those desires of the flesh. Now, we talked about the desires of the flesh last week. Do you remember Paul says, he says, you are free as a Christian, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And what is the flesh? It's your sinful desires, your desires that are leading you away from the you you've created to be, you've been created to be. The flesh is those things, those desires that make you bite and devour one another in verse 15 and get consumed by one another. another. The flesh is leading you in, in in a real dangerous sort of life. And those desires are so strong. The pull of the flesh is really strong. And many of us have a hard time resisting those desires to get angry, to get impatient, to have anxiety. For many of us, it's almost impossible to say no to those things. They're almost second nature. So Paul says, here's how you do it. Walk in the Spirit. Cooperate with the Spirit. And you will find that you will no longer Give in to the desires of the flesh. In other words, Paul says, the best defense against the flesh is a good offense. Sports metaphor. The best defense is a good offense. If you don't want to give in to that flesh, walk in the spirit. Because the two are opposites. It's like uh, sitting on, on, on the chair and running. You can't sit and run at the same time. If you're running, you're not going to sit. If you're sitting, you're not going to run. And Paul says, here's the flesh and the spirit. If you don't want to do this, don't just say no, 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 no. I mean, you should say no, but he says, here's a better strategy. Walk in the spirit, a positive. 
Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. One of the best little examples of this, and I'm almost done, is, is with, um, there was a church father named Jerome. And church fathers were really funny about saying no to sin. Um, one church father, um, whenever he was, felt lusty or whatever, he would throw himself on a rose bush. You know, just t- toss himself in there in pain and, you know, keep him from lusting, I guess. But this Jerome found a better way. He struggled with the flesh. He struggled with, I think it was sexual morality. They're just battling in, in his brain. And he says, how am I going to fight this? And the way he decided to fight it was by learning Hebrew. Jerome actually wrote the first trans- Latin translation of the Hebrew Bible. And he was so consumed with lustful desires, he says, I'm just going to find something better to do. I'm going to learn Hebrew. And so he threw himself into learning Hebrew and translating the Bible, and, and I mean, it was his life's work. And he says, you know, the funny thing is when I threw myself into this, I stopped doing that. Paul says, here's the promise. You walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and he's giving you desires. He's pointing you in a direction. And you spend your life thinking about him and where he wants you to go. And lo and behold, you're going to find that you just actually have, have found these things not as tasteful anymore. Let me give you one more illustration. You're a runner, maybe. And the runner has to say no to all sorts of things, right? This big, delicious bowl of chocolate ice cream. I don't know why I thought of chocolate. It's because that's what I want right now. The runner says no to the chocolate. Why? The runner has a greater want. He wants the chocolate, but he's got a greater want, which is to win. And Paul says, you need a greater want. You need a greater desire. You need to feed. You need to live into a greater way of life. And God's got a way of life for you. A way of life of peace and self-control and kindness and love. And the Spirit is leading you into that direction. And Paul says, you say yes to that. And you cooperate with that. And you live into that. And he says, you will no longer fulfill the desires of the flesh. And for Paul, this is his teaching on the Christian life. We're going to look at it. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? How do we fight the battle of walking in the Spirit? How do we learn to be the people God wants us to be? We're going to look at all of that in the next few weeks. But it all begins with walking in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this teaching about um, the fact that we must walk by the Spirit. You've given us your Spirit, and we must walk in Him. And Lord, we pray that you would empower us, that you would enable us, God, tomorrow and the next day to learn to recognize uh, what you're doing in us through your spirit. God, that we would learn how to, to live into your power. God, that we would learn how to live into your joy. God, that we would take baby steps in that right direction. And Father, we pray that as, as you've given us this power and this, this ability, Lord, that we would live lives of, of freedom God, that we would live lives that please you, all because you've given us this enormous, uh, unique resource, the Holy Spirit. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.